Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk, Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, is your EV failing to reach the advertised range? Well, Derek Riley will have some top tips on how you can help to go the distance. We'll talk about talent transformation and the opportunities within your job to grow. Plus, the head of Laundry will talk about their push to go green. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But first, we're going to kick off this week with a topic that I think a lot of people uh, consider when it comes to electric vehicles. I know that I certainly still consider it when I'm buying a mobile phone. And that is, will the battery give me the performance promised on the poster? This is a big issue. uh, And who better to guide us through it all than Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel. Derek, there is many different assets to the or facets to this, I suppose. Um, in general, do car batteries match what is on the advertising poster or pamphlet? Uh, kind of. And that's a no. that's, yeah. <laughs> Under certain circumstances and conditions, yes, it will. And this, uh, and like you say, when you're buying a mobile phone or a, lap- a tablet or a laptop, you, you, how long will the battery last me? And if Jess is on it and she's a power user and the screen's up max brightness and it's 120 frames per second refresh rate, the battery isn't going to last as long as the manufacturers have said. And the, uh, the same can be said for an electric vehicle. So if Jess is going out buying an electric vehicle and buys one, all of her friends, the first thing they're going to ask you, and it's the thing that all EV drivers get asked, how, what size is the battery? How, what's the range on that thing? Yeah, and this is obviously what we talk about. You know, we, we talk about the look outside and inside a car, how it drives and all the rest. Yeah, but this is what, what it comes down to. So uh, let's just, again, before we kind of talk through the ins and outs of all of this, Remind us what exactly drains the battery of an EV. Is it just getting from A to B or is it, you know, the the heating, the radio and all and do all of those things drain massively on the battery if so? So it's the propulsion of the vehicle, it's heating the battery, and it's also heating the inside the cabin. Uh, so they're the three or four main things. Radio, lights, wipers, they run off your 12-volt system, so that's the small little battery that's in every type of car. But an electric vehicle, it's the moving the vehicle along, be that a van or a car, it's heating it up in the inside, uh, and then heating the potentially battery as well, ready for it to take in more uh, charge. So they're the three main reasons. Okay. And as we've spoken about um, on the show over the last God knows how long now, um, just like phones and laptops and all the rest, there's different battery capacity in EVs. So, you know, is a smaller battery more likely to last a full day or like what way does it work in terms of capacity and drain? So what manufacturers have done is they've decided to say, right, we're all going to use the same test. And this is a test not just for battery electric vehicles, it's for petrol and diesel cars as well. It's called the WLTP. 
what that stands for, and Jess, you're a great, you love an acronym. I that do. stands for a worldwide harmonized light vehicle test procedure. So they missed the H and the V there, so they've only given us the WLTP. And what that done is, it, and this is for same as I said for petrol and diesel cars, for electric vehicles, what they've done is they, rather than using theory, they've taken real world examples of Jess driving uh, as an example. And they said, right, for this test, we're going to drive 50% in town, 50% all national primary motorways. Uh, and so it's a bit of a mix of driving. So it won't give you the, when the range on the display advertisement for the manufacturer and they say we're going to do 500 kilometers range. What that's doing is it's saying, right, 50% of that will be on a motorway, 50% of that will be on a in town. So it's giving you an average. It's about 90% as to where it actually will be. But if Jess only does motorways, and Derek only does town, Jess will get a lower range and Derek will get a higher range because you've skewed what you personally do versus what the test can actually do. Does that all make sense? I think so. I, I feel like I'm doing one of those math problems that if, you know, Jess leaves Galway at this time and gets a train going at this speed. Genie Mac, I should have had more coffee today. It's better than the old one, which was the NEDC rating. Uh -huh. And again, that was for petrol, diesel and electric cars. And that was way off. That was pie in the sky stuff. So the WLTP and what electric vehicle manufacturers have done is that, right, we're all taking this. So they give you a mix of driving where you're driving. Why it doesn't match up sometimes to Ireland is because they've said the average temperature for all these driving scenarios is 23 degrees which is a global average, but is far from an average in Ireland. So straight away, we're working with a colder battery, which means it's going to get less range because the battery chemistry inside isn't as warmed up and it isn't, as, uh, it isn't performing as it, in its optimum. So you'll hear EV drivers talking about, my, I get better range in the summertime than I do in the wintertime because of that temperature effect. Mm. Okay, okay, so I hope everybody has their pen and paper in their hand as they're listening to this now as we try and work out collectively the uh, the range of different vehicles in different conditions. But th that thing of um, winter versus summer, again, a stupid question, but if you keep your car in a garage, in an indoor kind of garagey thing, will you get better performance than if you park it on the street? Even better. And I've got a couple of tips now for the segment, Jess, as to if you're thinking about driving an electric vehicle or you're driving an electric vehicle and you want to make sure you're getting the maximum out of that range. So tip number one would be very much like you're saying, Jess, is if you have the ability to park it, be that inside or outside, but you're plugged into a home charger. Uh, the vast majority of electric vehicles would allow you to preheat the cabin and the battery before you leave when you're still plugged in. So that the minute you walk out your door and you're ready to go off on your journey, be that short or long, you're at 100%, but heating the cabin and the battery isn't taken out of your battery capacity, it's been taken off the mains. So being smart about how you start your journey is always is the first step. And does that, does that apply then? So say if I am driving to Mayo, and I'm about, you know, 45 minutes into my journey and I pull in to charge the vehicle. Like we talk about sometimes, you know, planning your journey, you have to be smart about it. If I step out to get a 15 minute coffee and I plug it into a charger, does it make sense for me to keep the heating on to, to ensure that the cabin and the engine is hot as it's charging, as I'm getting my coffee and all the rest? Your, your climate control, be that I want to heat up my car because I uh, it's a colder weather and vice mm -hmm. versa. It's a hot day. You want to cool down the car. And when you've when you've plugged in, 
the, the, the system knows, okay, I'm going to use an element of this energy that's coming in to heat up or cool down the car rather than starting it all over again once I plug out the car from charging, be that at home or on the journey. Some of the fancier electric vehicles will actually, as they're driving along and you've told the car in the satellite navigation, I'm going to charge in at loan, this, the, the system starts to heat up the battery to its optimum temperature so that when you do plug in on that loan, the battery is nice and toasty warm and it's going to take all those electrons in nice and fast. Okay, that is a good tip. What's next on your list? Um, the, so the range that you see may not be what you buy. Uh, and it'll depend on your on your driving style. It'll depend on the temperature that you're living in. It'll also, that when they did that range test, it was at 48 degree, uh, kilometers per hour average speed, which is on the low side. So tips wise, first off, let's start with 100%. If you've got the ability to charge at home, always try and leave with 100%. It's like going off for the day and having your phone or your laptop battery only at half. Why wouldn't you charge it up overnight and starting off with 100% and making sure that you've got that preheating or pre-cooling already done. Number two tip would be planning your route to understand that if I do have to charge, I'm leaving that redundancy in place. So Jess is leaving from uh, Dublin, going to Mayo, and she knows that she has to charge in a town in Mayo. Rather than charging at that very last town before your battery runs out, charge at the bat uh, charge at the charger before that, so that if there's somebody there or that charger is broken down, you have that redundancy left to get you to the next charger. Don't always leave it to the very last minute, five percent or ten percent battery. Very important that you have that redundancy left. Can I ask a question on that? You know that there was talk and theories about what was the good thing to do for your smartphone battery a few years ago. Like you should never leave it on charge after it reaches 100% or you should never let it completely die. Or maybe it's better to let it completely die and charge up from scratch. Is there schools of thought on that when it comes to EVs? Great question. And different manufacturers, because of the chemistry of their battery, will dictate as to if you're driving this all day, every day, in and out of town, 80% is good enough for you because by charging it up to 100% all the time, you're going to start affecting the battery health. Then other brands will say, charge me up to 100% all the time because of my battery chemistry, I have no problem with that. So the, the manufacturer, your charging screen on the display will say to you, do you want to go to 80%? Do you have to do a long drive? Okay, let's go to 100%. So depending on what manufacturer guidance will give you. So yes, very much like uh, the phone's of old before their battery management system, but a lot of electric vehicles have battery management systems in place. But yeah, there is a definitely a best practice depending on the vehicle, depending on the battery type. Okay, another question um, that we have spoken about a little bit, and that is in terms of, um, like we know that the storage capacity in a lot of the EVs is great and the passenger room tends to be great because you don't have the big bulky stuff in the back. But if you're weighing down the car, so if you are doing a long journey from Mayo to, God forbid, Dublin Airport with four big suitcases, three kids in, a back, in the back, a passenger and yourself driving, is that going to impact your battery? Yes, weight will. And it's another tip I have. So let's discuss what you talked about. So that scenario, leaving from somewhere down the country, coming up to, to Dublin Airport, hopefully you can get through in time. Uh, mm -hmm. Weight will make that difference. Yes. And the newer electric vehicles will understand, okay, it's, it's self-weighing, it knows the weight. And so it will estimate the range according to how many people and what kind of weight you have in the car, on the car or behind the car if you're towing something. 
And so tip number two or three, I don't know, I don't know what tip number we're on at this stage, but <laughs> it is removing weight from the car that you don't need on a day-to-day basis, be that a roof rack, be that a roof box, be that stuff in the boot that you think, do you know what, there's a couple of things there that I, I'd like to have every now and again, but let's take them out when you don't need them because if you're carrying that extra weight, it's taking more energy to move that vehicle from A to B. So definitely weight will make a difference. So if you can remove stuff, it's always better to do that. Okay, that is a good tip. Is there anything else sort of that wouldn't be as obvious? Because, you know, I always ask the obvious stupid questions, but is there anything that can catch people out that they may not necessarily have thought of similar enough to the heating of the cabin? Because that is something that, as you explain it, it makes pure sense. But I don't know if I would have thought of it straight away. Uh, tires uh, and the oh, type of tires you put on your electric vehicle. So making sure they're at their, the, the manufacturer's recommended pressure. So this is whether this is your bicycle, whether this is your car, your van, whatever it may be. All manufacturers will say to you, okay, if it's Derek and Jess in the car, two people, the tires should be on the front X PSI and on the back X PSI. So they'll guide you as to, or if it's a full car of people, it will tell you what the optimum, because if you've tires that are underinflated, that means they're kind of, they're, they're wider at the bottom. They're taking, they're in contact with more road surface and so you're taking again more energy to move that vehicle along so making sure the pressure is correct but also then the type of tires and evs have special a special type of tires uh, which are low rolling resistance so once the car gets up and starts to move these special ev tires actually it takes less for them to move along because of the the compound that they're made of so tire pressure and types of tires people think oh I can stick any old tire onto it there it makes no difference it makes a difference all right and all of these things incrementally will add 5 10 15 20 percent extra to your range if you're someone who lives in a non-smooth terrain uh, and you can tell that i did a geography degree with my uh, fancy lingo there now but say if you live up in the glencullen mountains or somewhere that's a bit hilly Will the, the, the types of terrain that you're driving over impact the the battery life? Yeah, and, and it'll be depending on how heavy the car is to move and whether you're going up hills or downs. Now, with that scenario of terrain being, is it hilly or not? It'll take you more, en- more energy to get up the hill mm-hmm. if it's a higher elevation, but then you've the positive of as you're going down the hill, it's not taking you any energy at all, and you may even be bringing energy back into the battery. And that moves me on to the next tip as to regenerative braking. And so with electric vehicles, what you have is the option of turning that electric motor into a reverse kind of dynamo. So as the car is slowing down, you can decide to say to the car, okay, I want you to take some energy back in and slow the car down called regen. Uh, Or you can say, I'm actually going to turn that off and I'm going to freewheel. And so that the momentum of the car is going to allow me to roll down this hill. And I don't want any extra energy, but I'll go further because there's nothing restricting the motor. Getting a bit technical now, but this is what they call hypermiling. So Jess is driving her electric vehicle around town. She has regen on because she's stopping and starting. And she understands by taking my foot off the accelerator, the car will slow itself down. And some electric vehicles even have what they call one pedal driving. You don't even have to touch the brake. Just by taking your foot off the accelerator, it slows the car down and some to a complete stop and then gently pressing it again and takes off. So that one pedal driving around town, but then Jess is on the motorway heading down to Cork or up Donegal and you're doing 100 kilometers an hour and if you took your foot off the accelerator the region will kick in and so you're losing that momentum of the car so what you'll do is in town you turn it on out on the big open roads you turn it off so that the momentum of the car is moving along so that's called hypermiling. 
Okay, and I'm not being thick here now, but do you need to have a degree in engineering to own and to run an EV efficiently? Not really, no. It's it's definitely about understanding your driving style. You might only ever work, drive it around town for 95% of the time, so leaving it in maximum regenerative braking. It's talking to other EV owners and understanding the capabilities of your electric vehicle. I've talked to somebody there recently and they didn't understand that that capability was in it or they'd left it in maximum regen all the time. So there is an education piece to to it again to extend that battery range driving styles etc so jess might be a bit once you get your driving license you might be a bit heavy on the shoe as we'd say you might be hard on the brakes hard on the accelerator and all that kind of it doesn't make for a smooth drive but it also doesn't make for an energy efficient drive and so there's lots of different things that we can do to make it better for you and the car to, to use as less energy to get you from a to b or to recoup energy to get you from a to b mm. We we started this conversation about, you know, with the analogy of smartphones and tablets, but another comparison would be broadband speeds. So, you know, in the past, you might have seen a poster on the side of a bus saying that you'll get these speeds, but then in teeny tiny print, it would be up to these speeds or a minimum of these speeds. And it can be quite frustrating to try and discern what you're actually going to get. Are there any manufacturers or any cars that are worse than others when it comes to the transparency around battery performance? They all use this WLTP, to be fair to them, because it is a standard that is global. So first of all, you'll get that. This is our range and a bit asterisk beside it, very much like that broadband speed. But mm-hmm. the nice thing about it is when you go into a dealership, if it's a good dealership, they'll say, listen, it's saying 500 kilometres. Real world in Ireland, we're looking at around about 450 if you do a lot of motorway, you're probably near 400. So the salesperson should be able to educate you as to, okay, understanding that the range they're saying is in 23 degrees, an average speed of 48 kilometers an hour, and it has a mix of urban and motorway. So once you understand that, okay, I understand it. I was talking to a gentleman recently and he bought a larger battery electric vehicle, I won't say what brand, and he was going motorway from Galway to Dublin. And he couldn't understand why it said 500 on the box, theoretically but he wasn't getting even 400 but the issue was he it's his driving and how he was driving it and the salesperson should have explained listen this is 500 for a bit of urban and a bit of motorway if you're doing all motorway you're probably going to be lucky to get 400 so there definitely is that education piece and maybe he needs a bit more education as to how to drive it more efficiently that hyper myelin thing extra so it is it a false advertising no i think it's more so it's a standard test. It's the best we have at the moment. There is a really good website called evdatabase.org. It's a free website. And you can go in and if Jess is looking for a certain brand of vehicle with a certain battery size, they've actually broken that down then to say cold weather on the motorway, this is what your car is going to get. Summertime in the town, this is what your car is going to get. So you can start to get a bit more of a realistic range, pardon the pun, of what your range will be in your electric vehicle. And there are some lovely scenarios out there where you buy a 500 kilometer car, a range of a car, and you actually get 575 because you only do town. It's nice and warm weather during the summertime. And so sometimes you can be surprised about the efficiency of it. Mm. Okay. Well, look, I think that has been incredibly useful. If you drive an EV and if you have any tips for us that we didn't mention, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com. And of course, if you want real reviews and get that sort of breakdown and that education piece, uh, you can always head over to the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel. Uh, Derek, a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. 
Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Uh, We've been talking about the future of work for many years now. But as you know, the pandemic gave us a violent shove further down that road than most of us would have expected. We now have flexible working, hybrid working and changing attitudes towards work in general. Brida O'Toole is the head of talent transformation and innovation at IDA Ireland and she joins me now. Brida, as I mentioned there, we've been talking about this for quite some time, long before the pandemic began. But I'm just wondering how your role came to be. And, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that journey, please? I will, of course, Jess. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you. So my job came, evolved really, from the development of IDA Ireland's new strategy, Driving Recovery and Sustainable Growth, which is 2021 to 2024. And we have um, two, I guess, new pillars evolving out of five, one around sustainability, which you wouldn't find too surprising, and the other ranging around talent, transformation and innovation or transformation as, as the pillar goes. So the chief executive established two new teams to drive those particular areas. And one of them um, I'm responsible for, which is in the area of talent, innovation and transformation. So that's where where it came from. The team was only established about a year and a half ago and really we're focused on supporting our client companies, of which we have about 1,700 in our portfolio, really help them to to build their talent for the future as well as for their existing needs in their business. And I suppose there's two real reasons that we do that. And and I really could say IDA um, employees are very focused on this. Really, one is all about trying to sustain our jobs, our employment here in Ireland and the FDI foreign direct investment portfolio. And the other is really to grow more. So um, and we've been trying to do that, I guess, for the 70 years of our existence. So it's getting more challenging, needless to say, because the competition is much stronger now than it ever was uh, in the past. But that's actually the history of, of the team and my own role in this. So I'm very privileged to have it because it's a very exciting time. And the piece I think that you'd be most interested in and your listeners would be most interested in is the talent piece of my role, which is all about trying to help our companies find the most appropriate talent in Ireland, grow it, develop it and retain it here. Being part of Europe is very important too for that. Yeah, and these are all issues that I think are front and centre of people's minds. But before we sort of delve into the the how of your job, so how you do all of these things, can you just explain what is meant by the term talent transformation and talent innovation? Because we're all kind of aware of terms like retention and, you know, career development, career progression. But to have transformation in there, again, it's quite an exciting use of terminology uh, because it shows that, you know, we're not static, we're not done, regardless of what level of a company you're in or what role you're in. So I don't really associate transformation with the talent because in a way that 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 makes it sound like you're trying to turn robots out or, or something very strange. But really transformation about a client company or a business, an enterprise itself. So by transforming what it does, if you take, I mean, COVID-19 actually was a great example of it. Like you imagine all the businesses that went online 
and produced different business models and different way of engaging with their own customers as a result. And we've benefited from that in that very trying time. And that's what we're trying to do with our own companies, work with them to really transform the types of activity that they do here in Ireland, which um, has, has a great influence then on their parent company, wherever that be in the world. So transformation is associated with the business. And then where talent comes in is, well, okay, if you transform your business, have a different business model, have a different way of communicating with your customers, you need to really develop your people and your talent to make sure that they can align themselves with those changes. So when we, we talk about talent then in IDA, we're really talking about upskilling, reskilling, and retraining people. That's what we're really talking about. Because if, I, if I'm honest with you, the most important thing for the businesses that grow here, and you'll know some of the, the very big names and the announcements you've heard recently, and your listeners will have heard, really, uh, the talent is what makes it. I mean, there's no point in a business being here if they can't if they can't get enough people and the skills that they want particularly to really deliver their business. So where the innovation piece then finally comes in is how people, how our companies do their business. How do they deliver it? How innovative is their culture? How exciting do they make the business for uh, their people to work in? And how engaged are with they with their own customers? So the more innovative a company is, always trying new things, trying out different things, um, the, the more sustainable the companies will become in the sense the more long-lasting they'll be and of course that's what we want we want more jobs to be created and we see those elements helping companies to do exactly that we know that people's values changed across the spectrum not just to do with career but a lot of people's values either changed or became crystallized in their own mind so what matters most is a time with your family is it finding new hobbies? Is it traveling more? Is it finding a company uh, whose values resonate with your own values? Have you seen a shift in the attitudes of workers uh, when it comes to what they want out of their work life? Jess, it's a really good question. And I suppose we could think of ourselves in that light. What, what's important for us? And, and, and certainly from my own experience, I would say that where a company's values align with a, an employee's values, they're more likely to stay with that company. And if you looked at LinkedIn at the moment, you would see that the number of jobs being advertised with remote working possibilities or flexible working possibilities or hybrid working, as it's often called, um, are, are increasing. And, and that's evident on, on when you look at the jobs being advertised. So we would see now more increasingly companies where possible, they're moving to more of a hybrid uh, work scenario where they're giving people more flexibility to be so many days in a particular place and so many days not. And I, I suppose too, if you look nationally at the national remote working strategy that the, that the government have in place, you know, they're, they're setting up and establishing networking hubs. They're looking at legislation for the right to request um, flexible working and so on. So I think there's a move um, and it won't be new to Ireland. It'll be very common across the board where people are looking for different ways of working. And I guess the last two years may have spurned that in the sense that it's given people time to think about what they really want. So I think you're right in, 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 in what you're looking at. It's a whole it's a whole different a lot of elements that have impacted on the way people view work and the way they spend their time and the balance by the way 
Um, because you'll be aware with your own job, like technology is is a huge influencer in how we now do our work. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there are a lot more opportunities for people to use technology to facilitate flexible working. Now, that's not going to that's not going to work in in some of our industries, for example, in our uh, manufacturing industries. Obviously, you you have to there's certain industries you have to be in a place in order to deliver the actual job and the role. But I think companies are trying to get their heads around how do they how do they really create an environment where they can attract workers? And I think that's going to be a finish on this. I think that's going to be quite a big piece because as people are trying to attract talent to their uh, workplace, companies now will start to look at well, what do people really want from, from us mm-hmm. and how can we brand ourselves in a way that will be very attractive to workers? And all those elements you mentioned in your question to me will come into play here. Yeah, and I think that's where... It's super interesting because I do think a lot of us sat back and assessed what matters and a lot of people had, you know, very tough, very stark conversations either with themselves or with their friends and with their families. But from a business point of view, although there's an exciting opportunity to change up how things were done, you still have to care about the bottom line. You still have to meet targets and deadlines and the job still needs to get done. So how much of a balancing act is needed to be done by businesses and by managers in particular at the moment as we go through this shift? And that's a a very interesting question, because if you think of the amount of years that we've all gone into offices, gone into manufacturing sites, whatever it might be to work, and I guess managers, as they they look around, it's e- it, it may well be easier to manage people when they can see them and they can assess what they're doing and so on. But I think the last two years has certainly taught us that that can be well challenged. But, you know, there, there is more to just flexible working. I, I think that people we would see anyway are looking for from their employers. You know, they're looking for education as well and training. They want to be invested in. Um, they want to have opportunities to grow in their organizations. And I think that's a really important element too that, that often is forgotten. When we think hybrid working, we, we, we automatically think flexibility as you described in your question. So I think that's, a, I really would, would say to, to all the listeners, um, lifelong learning is just so key. And, you know, moving now, there's a lot of movement and a lot of companies in order to attract uh, talent are actually moving from sectors around sectors so you could get somebody from a services industry moving into a um a business environment or a manufacturing environment and they're being trained up to do the job by employers so there's a we would certainly see a lot more flexibility now in the movement of people across sectors so to enable people to do that they need to be engaged in learning and development all the time and there is as you said earlier a vast array of provision out there, either through universities, local enterprises, colleges, to, in order to uh, get development. And we would be strongly recommending that people look at their basic digital and data capabilities to start with and build up from there, because digital, um, digital workplaces are, are really and, and truly developing and growing as we move forward. For some businesses, though, that are like still be here because we know that certain sectors really struggled during the pandemic and are continuing to pick up the pieces they might not be in a position to facilitate 
you know, whether that is courses or extra learnings, you know, even investment in new areas. So are they at a loss and are they going to continue loss as this sort of return to normalisation continues? Well, hmm, that that's challenging. That's for sure. And what's really challenging is, is the time for people to go and learn, I think, and develop. That, that's certainly an issue. But I, what we found now over the last, particularly the last 14 months, the number of training programs and courses that you can get online, um, like it's phenomenal. And, you know, the National Training Fund, which is made up of 1% of an of uh, employers uh, funding into it each year is built to fund uh, places like Solace and Skillnet, uh, state provision in training and development, and they're very heavily subsidized. So there are a lot of free training available as well as employer funded training, but at much less of a cost to what what it used to be one state. And there's an awful lot of training provided by the state um, here for people who want to undertake even short courses of study. It doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be a lot, but I think there's an awful lot out there that people should avail of. And they can find out that information locally through local enterprise offices uh, very easily. So people themselves, like, like myself and yourself, Jess, could take some responsibility in trying to find some development for ourselves and grow that development. It's probably easier within some employers because they're they're set up and established to be able to train the people but it's certainly the way of the future and we've noticed it even across Europe um, you know that there's a very it's much easier to be more mobile and find new opportunities and travel and grow your own education and, and, and development uh, when you have some basic skills mm. so I think it would be great for all of us to, to try our best to access some of that um, free in some cases and very heavily subsidized training that's out there um, and has grown by the way very substantively over the last couple of years particularly. Yeah I mentioned on the station before during the first lockdown I think it was I did a project management course on Open University online completely free to do I think it was uh, I think it was like 20 hours across X number of weeks. I had little online exams at the end of it. I got a certificate and more than the piece of paper I got at the end of it, I did learn new skills that stand to me in my job as technology correspondent here on News Talk. And I think, am I right in saying that those are the elements that you're referring to as well, that there is plenty out there. You just need to know where to look. That's a great example, Jess. Thanks for sharing that. It's a lo- lovely example, actually. And I think you're up, it's, a great, it's a great one to illustrate what I'm trying to say, absolutely. And, and I would say just to people to go into local, there's a fantastic range now of enterprise hubs um, I'm just establishing in, in most regions in Ireland in probably a lot of smaller towns and counties or even local enterprise offices. And they're in all the towns in Ireland. And I think that's a good place to start. Or as you say, rightfully so, you know, you go in on the internet and you, you will find free training. And, and most especially, I just go to the, the first port of call I always think of is the Department of uh, Education. And to go in there, first of all, online and just just trawl it a little bit and see the provision that they have, um, that, they're, that they're hosting up there online. That'd be a good place to start, always with the with the government uh, departments because they will signpost you if you're not sure where to go locally. 
Yeah. Look, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours because this is a a topic that I'm very passionate about and I get the impression that you are as well. But my final question is, you know, there was a lot of talk of the new normal and so on. But as the world continues to open up and people now realise that they'll probably have a good idea by now if they're going to be working from home or flexibly or in a hybrid model or in the office full time. Uh, So they kind of know the lay of the land. Would you say that now is an exciting time in terms of employment and the status of work? Forget the future of work, the current status of work. Would you say it's an exciting time? I think it's a tough time. It's an exciting time for people like us, because if you look out there, you can see how many jobs that are being are vacant and, 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 and employers are trying to fill. So that means that for us, for employees potentially looking for jobs, there's quite a range out there for us to choose from. And uh, the challenge of trying to fill some of those jobs gives us a, a great hand to be able to say, what do I actually want? Where do I want to go? And who do I actually want to work for? And who's offering me the best deal? And be under no illusion that uh, companies know the same thing because they're trying to fill so many roles. So there's a, I suppose there's, as they say, a war for talent, but there's a bit of a war going on to attract the talent. And then we have this great opportunity as potential employees now to have choice. So, you know, when we go into employers, we should be, we should definitely be asking about what's, what's there for me? You know, what are the training and development opportunities? What are the promotion opportunities? And there's some phenomenal companies out there now both homegrown industries um, and of course the, the, the ones I know I know well uh, the foreign direct owners and I mean they have um, sites all over Europe as well as the world so if somebody really wanted to travel with their company now is a great chance to look at all the companies that are looking for positions and say well look there's a company now they have a couple of sites in France and Germany and Asia and America and I, I want a piece of that and go get it. Yeah, absolutely. Go get it is a great uh, note to leave things on. Uh, Brida O'Toole, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you, Jess. Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll hear how laundry is going even greener. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, that little bit of music you heard there as we came back from the ad break is actually a song by Manchester band Everything Everything. It's called Night of the Long Knives. They are one of my favourite bands and I would highly recommend you check them out. Uh, But aside from just acknowledging that they're great, they're also very innovative. They've just released a new album called Raw Data Feel and the lyrics were composed using AI. The lead singer, Jonathan Hogg, created an artificial intelligence bot. He fed it information from terms and conditions of LinkedIn, some Chinese philosophy and loads of other sources, and then worked with whatever the AI spat out. As I say, it's innovative. Uh, Take a listen to My Computer from Raw Data Feel. That is My Computer by Everything Everything from their new record, Raw Data Feel, which was co-written by AI. 
Uh, they are my favourite band. I would highly recommend you check them out. They are nothing if not interesting. Uh, now, moving on. Laundry is an Irish company that have featured on this programme quite a bit. Uh, and we've spoken to them before as well. It's a service that I use and will be lost without. So I'm delighted to be joined once again by Evan Gray, who is the founder uh, Evan, welcome back to the show. Before we talk about your green news, just remind everyone what it is that you do. So uh, we're an on-demand dry cleaning and laundry service. Uh, you use our app or our website to you know, schedule an order and we collect from you morning, afternoon, evening, uh, weekends and get it cleaned and dropped back to you uh, in a pretty quick manner. And the, the company has been around for quite a while. Um, you've grown in popularity but during the pandemic, I think it was another example of sort of how ahead of the times laundry actually was, because you did continue to work for the majority of the pandemic, if, I, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, we actually didn't stop at all. Uh, the only thing we did was we sort of reduced uh, our hours of operation. Um, but yeah, so it was really interesting in the pandemic because what we saw was a complete shift in what our customers wanted. Typically, our business was shirts, suits. Uh, all the things you'd expect that people want to do for socializing and going to the office. And when the pandemic happened, obviously all that finished, but we thought, okay, you know, what's going to happen here? But what we saw was a real increase in people wanted for the stuff at home because, you know, while they weren't going out and about, they probably had maybe, you know, less time because they were trying to juggle taking care of the house, taking care of the kids, taking care of, you know, everything and working from it. So uh, we saw a lot of stuff for a lot of demand for, for home stuff. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was one of those people because when we were working from home, you felt, I found anyway that I was working, I was, I was never kind of offline and I found that the, the housey chores kind of took a back seat. So you were more reliant on services such as yourself. I've also mentioned quite a lot by me that the online, uh, basically the shoppers, which which is a great service too. Um, I've mentioned that you've continued to grow, you've continued to invest. Tell us a little bit about uh, the new offering that you're, you're showcasing this week. Yeah, so... Um Something that's always been quite dear to my heart anyway is, you know, being as environmentally friendly as possible. And the, uh, the, the you know, dry cleaning business is, is one bit which is, which is sort of going against the grain of what we always wanted to do. Uh, originally, dry cleaning is done with a chemical called PERC, which is actually like a derivative from you know, gasoline. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a petrochemical. Uh, and it, while it's, you know, protective of your clothes, it doesn't often leave them smelling as fresh as they could. Uh, people may notice whenever they got their suits cleaned, uh, you know, from a traditional cleaners, there was a, there was a sort of a strong chemical odor from it. And um, what we've actually done is we've switched over to a different form of cleaning, which is called wet cleaning, which is much better for your clothes, much better for, uh, you know, removing any odors or stains. And then also for the, for the longevity of the clothes, you know, which, you know, ultimately is, uh, is better for everyone, you know, the environment and you. Can you just explain what that entails and how exactly it differs? Yeah, sure. So uh, the wet cleaning equipment will use a non-toxic, uh, you know, variety of sort of chemicals that go into it, uh, and it's treating each garment sort of uh, by the type of fabric that they are. So whether it's silks, whether it's cottons, whether it's cashmere's, they're uh, they're all treated in a different manner with slightly different chemicals that are uh, that are altered. And it also uses water, um, and then you know the machine, you know gauges that it cleans them uh, and then afterwards it's cleaned in a computer program dryer which actually can assess the moisture that's in each garment so it's drying and the temperature is changing depending on the amount of moisture that's left in each garment uh, and then at the end what you have is a, is a really high quality finish uh, and really fresh and really clean. Does it take much either from an investment point of view or from an infrastructure point of view to make this change? 
Yeah, you know, what we actually did in the very beginning, we used to outsource our cleaning to different companies. And for, you know, a number of reasons, we decided that we could give a much better service if we were to take more of it on ourselves. So uh, we, we put in quite a lot of investment in the facility uh, in order to, to, to give this service and also to give for the rest of our service in order to ensure that we could, give, we could have a really, really strong service uh, ultimately, you know. And is this something that you did because the you know your customers might be aware of it, or is it very much from the ethos of the company that that you've made this decision? Uh, it's for the ethos of the company. I think our customers are aware of it and they see the difference, but I don't think they're necessarily crying out for it. Um, but you know, if it's a win-win, if it gives a better quality finish, uh, you know, ultimately they'll be happier and they will uh, they'll stay a customer of ours. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned before, this is a service that has been around for quite a while. Are you nationwide or are there pockets of the country that you've yet to tap into? No, we are. We're exclusively still just Dublin. Uh, we decided to, to focus on the, the Dublin market and really try and grow it as much as we can here. Uh, in time, maybe we will expand to other cities, um, but nothing on the road matches yet. Awesome stuff. Well, look, as I said, it's a company that uh, we've spoken about quite a bit here on the show and we will continue to uh, monitor and support your progress every step of the way. Evan, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for having me, Jess. That was Evan Gray, founder of Laundry. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. John Fardy's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week.